Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila! You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello, and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, I try and find fascinating topics with fascinating people in and around the world of HR. Today, I have my friend, Mike Smith from Lockton on the podcast. Hello, Mike. How are you? Good morning, David. How are you? It might be a little early to be fantastic. I don't know if I've had enough coffee yet, but I'll, I'll do my best. Well, you know, you can actually have coffee while we're doing the podcast. It's, it's okay. Oh, uh, oh, I have a mug right next to me. So All right. Good. That's good to hear. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Mike, Mike is a career salesperson, but he loves benefits. He loves HR and he loves benefits. And I've known Mike for so many years. He and I worked together at Workscape many, many years ago. Mike, give us a little bit more about your background. Thanks, David. By way of background, it's been 33 Larry Bird years since I've been in uh, <laughs> in and around employee benefits. I graduated from college and I was hired by Prudential and as part of their group underwriting and sales program. Back in those days, we called it group insurance, not wow. employee benefits. And, uh, wow. And um, started in New Jersey as an underwriter and then moved into sales, moved up to Boston and uh, was with Prudential for a long time, went to a regional HMO, Tufts Health Plan. Oh, sure. And then actually ultimately to work uh, in the early 2000s for ADP in their benefits outsourcing group Mm -hmm. and uh, sold uh, benefits administration and software. And that's the first time I really got to see the confluence of of benefits and technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, had an opportunity to join Workscape in 2005 where I met fabulous people like yourself and the wonderful Lori Craig, uh, <laughs> amongst amongst many, many other people. Sure. And uh, ultimately became the VP of sales for their benefits group there. And then, uh, lo and behold, ADP bought Workscape in 2010. We'll all remember that period. Yeah, um, absolutely. But uh, throughout, that, throughout that experience, I'd gotten to know Lockton and just really enjoyed working with the people there. And an opportunity to presented itself to join Lockton in 2013 to run what was known as the private exchange practice, which married employee benefits and technology in, a, in kind of a product or service perspective. And did that until 2018 when I uh, decided to put my sales hat back on. And I am now a partner and a producer with Lockton here in, in Boston, or should I awesome. say in, in my Westboro, Mass office. <laughs> the pandemic. <laughs> That's awesome. So if you don't know Mike, one fun thing that could get you to know him much better, Mike is an adult member of the Girl Scouts, and you have been for over 10 years. That yes. is awesome, Mike. Yes. Uh, I've sold a lot of cookies. <laughs> and uh, really, it was a great experience to spend time both with uh, my girls, Jillian and Ryan, as well as with uh, with Pam, my, my wife, who runs one of the troops, sure. Ryan's, Ryan's troops. She'll be, 
She'll be uh, graduating high school and graduating Girl Scouts soon. So uh, my wow. my my adult membership in Girl Scouts may be expiring soon, but my uh, my support of them will be forever, including uh, Samoas and uh, and Thin Mints. So and and Thin Mints, especially the frozen ones, could be the best thing ever produced. Yes, exactly. You know, we had to get creative this year with the pandemic, sure, cookie sure. selling season. But but uh, the Girl Scouts persevered. And, and they're they're right on track. So, so I'll have to hit you up for a couple of boxes when the yes. time comes again. Yes, exactly. So, Mike, our topic for today is the foundation of employee benefits is data. Tell us more. So, uh, the reason why I brought up uh, my experience of, of being hired by Prudential and being an underwriter, one of the first things we did was literally use data. We took something called manual rates. Sure. to calculate life insurance and disability and health insurance. And we would literally complete spreadsheets on paper of employee census data. So age, gender, industry, salary, all these various elements of data, and we would bump those up against manual rates, and that would produce a premium and a quote. And it was, they were very rudimentary tools that back then, uh, you know, it was it was on paper and, and a calculator. And then we would, you know, began to, over time, start to leverage technology. So flash forward to today, if you're a larger employer above a certain, a certain employee count, and I'll leave that up to the actual insurance carrier to determine what that is, you know, you, you become what's known as fully credible. So that means that your claims experience or the utilization that your plan has year over year determines your costs. And so that's why a lot of larger employers self-fund, particularly their health insurance and dental insurance. And, and once you get to, a, you know, very large employers, they self-fund disability, they self-fund life insurance, all those things. So data truly is the, the building block of employee benefits. So the first question I have for you is, so if data really does kind of fulfill on the promise of being the key to employee benefits, how have your clients been utilizing that in the world of the pandemic to try and deal with the their experience and, and to try and help their employees out throughout the crisis and even beyond? So there's a lot to unpack there. So let's, uh, let's try to, let's try to <laughs> big loaded question there. <laughs> It's my first pandemic, so uh, forgive me if I don't cover everything. You know, um, you know, HR and people operations has really been at the crossroads of employers uh, as it relates to the pandemic, right? Sure. Unfortunately, this time last year, employers had to furlough or lay off employees. Everybody had to shift to a work from home environment. Yep. You know, uh, people were worried about company cultures and teams. And, you know, there was a there's a tremendous amount of unknown. So HR has been on in kind of peak performance zone for, you know, the last 12 to 14 months. Sure. And in speaking with the head of uh, of people operations a couple of weeks ago, he said um, he doesn't see that abating, particularly as people return to the office. Right. Sure. Uh, because we're talking about new new ways of work, hybrid models and the like. 
And so to the extent that data can be aggregated and used and shared to make decisions, because a lot of the time, you know, we're building the airplane as it's going down the runway. That's, sure, a bad, that's an overused cliche, but I think it's really that's a good one in this environment. As it relates to uh, employee benefits, you know, employers are really concerned about their employees' health. You know, the health system was shut down for a good part of last year. So their normal experience, if you will, their normal uh, patterns of of claims and things had been disrupted along with that. And, um, you know, people are concerned about, are we going to see a bubble pop on the other side as people weren't able to go for annual physicals or cancer sure. screenings or treatments and things like that. So, yeah. you know, we're keeping a close eye on data uh, and more as close to real time as possible for a lot of employers because they are concerned that, you know, this could create a, a, a big problem on the other end. I think there's another problem, which I, has been certainly in the media of late, which is the reference to do you have to require people to be fully vaccinated before they do return to work. And there are some states that are mandating that they can't do that or or actually uh, not allowing there to be these vaccination passports, which prove what someone has actually been vaccinated. And I think both you and I have them from from getting our vaccines at, uh, at whether at the Heinz or, or wherever in Massachusetts. But I think one of the issues that I want you to kind of comment on is how do we navigate this very careful issue with the privacy of, even if it's a HIPAA issue too, the privacy around whether someone got vaccinated and trying to keep people healthy in their return to work. Boy, you're really putting some softballs out here today. David, <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> it's my job, Mike. My, it's my job. I did not know there would be math. The old Saturday Night Live uh, skit <laughs> for sing back to Gerald Ford. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, employers would love to see their people. First of all, uh, when the pandemic hit, there was a tremendous focus on keeping their people safe. That's why right. we moved to return, you know, work from home. And, you know, the government obviously, you know, supported that by by asking people to stay home as well. So their immediate concern was around employee health and safety. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about this later, but we're seeing more of a shift now to well-being, to be, you know, from beyond just being safe and health to actually bringing your best self to work. But in terms of the vaccines, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I know a few. I don't think you are either. So uh, no, I play one on television. On podcast, no. this, this is not legal advice. <laughs> not even close. Right. right. But employers do have the ability to mandate that their people get the vaccine as a condition of employment or returning to the office. But they have to be mindful of lots of things. Employees have rights too, right? If you object sure. to the vaccine for religious or, you know, for other reasons, Health the employer reasons. has to accommodate those, right? So, yeah. and then you brought up HIPAA. And I think that's the biggest barrier, quite frankly, to a vaccine passport because nobody has the right to see that data. And that's personal, exactly. you know, health data. <laughs> so right. I don't see how a, a national or a regional or whatever, you know, vaccine passport, you know, survives against when, when you bump it up against HIPAA. Now, there are lots of areas in which we require vaccines, right? To go to school, you got to get a vaccine. Sure. If you're going to travel abroad to certain countries, you have to get certain shots and vaccines. So sure. again, it's an area that uh, 
that we're we're navigating. And fortunately, we we will bring our lawyers into those discussions and help guide employers when they ask us, because they're increasingly asking for lots and lots of help in lots and lots of areas regarding, you know, the pandemic. But but I think it goes back to the question of data. And there's going to be questionable data on both sides of this that we need to make sure as HR that we're being careful. And as you say, we have to talk to the lawyers about it. We have to make sure that we're keeping our employees safe. And so there's no OSHA potential problem with bringing them back into an environment where they could be exposed to the virus in many ways, because they're now going back into the workplace, which we've all been told could be the hotbed of getting and transmitting and receiving the virus. So I I think that HR needs to play this very carefully and work within the the confines of the law and the culture. And while the executives might want all their employees back, they may need to be very careful and play this very flexibly, or they may lose very, very key resources who say, I don't want to go back into the office because I don't believe in the vaccine or because I haven't been vaccinated yet or because I don't want to tell you my vaccination status. Right. And so they, they need to be careful. And I, I, we've just seen a couple of large employers say, we want you back. And so how do they navigate that if they're not going to be flexible about that? Well, they've got to be flexible because if they're not flexible, they're going to lose their talent. You know, I keep sure. reading articles that people have really worked hard during the pandemic. They're, they're burnt out. I think that's a big concern of a lot of our clients. Absolutely. I'll give you, for instance, my son graduated from, graduated, air quotes, from college last (laughs) spring. Congratulations. Didn't didn't have a ceremony or anything. And he took a job with a firm in Minneapolis. And just this past week, he went into that office for the first time. He's been there since July. Mm -hmm. So he has spent an inordinate amount of time in his apartment in, in Minneapolis. And he's frustrated because he doesn't get to network with his peers at work. He doesn't have a social life. So to the extent that employers don't allow people to come back into the office, particularly the younger cohort, that's really looking for that, you know, it's, it's not just a job, right? It's an opportunity to, to build and maintain friendships and build your knowledge and your experience and all those things. And we are still a society that, that likes to group together, you know, we, sure. and technology is great, but it, but it only goes so far. So, but then you have other cohort of employees that would probably be just as happy to work from home. Sure. And so if the employer says, no, you've got to come in, they may decide to look for a job that gives them more flexibility. So the data, tracking that data, and really, you know, using that to help drive your decisions is going to be critical. And trying to shrink that time between when the data is incurred and when you can actually use it is, is important because you're to a certain extent, you're, you know, using data is always a little bit like driving down the highway using the rearview mirror. So you got to just be, be careful. Not driving backwards, by the way, not driving, looking in the rear view. Yeah. Okay. I just want to be clear. Sorry to bring up my past driving experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Like what you hear so far, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. So, Mike, the other question I wanted to ask you on this is, how can we use data 
for cost management? So I'll tell you our approach. We made a, an investment in a data warehouse that brings in an employer's claim information, medical, dental, disability, HR data, all of those things. What we do is we, we use it in a couple of different areas. First, it's part of a, a large big data set. So there's about three and a half million lives that we can compare. Sure. Uh, so we can do benchmarking and norms and, you know, outliers. The second is we can, we can truly identify uh, programs that an insurer or maybe a point solution or something might want to help an employer with. So whether that's diabetes or muscular skeletal or cardiac or what have you. So it allows you to, to pinpoint those. Third, it can take those people in those conditions and we can stratify the risks to say these people are low risk and low cost and these people are high risk or medium risk and how we can help close gaps in care. So for instance, if you've got a population that has a, an inordinate amount of people with diabetes, having programs either sponsored by the employer or through the carrier to promote diabetes. A friend of mine, Ken Ralph, who runs our office in Boston, tells a great analogy, which is the carriers bring a lot of programs and tools to the table. I often uh, compare it to, you ever go to the Cheesecake Factory? Yes. And, and <laughs> <laughs> you know the menu at the Cheesecake Factory? Yes, I do. <laughs> Very much so. It reads like a book. Yeah. How long would it could it possibly, you know, take to get through all of that, you know, all of that stuff at the Cheesecake Factory? Well, Ken talks about these programs that these insurers bring to the table is not the menu items, but they give you the ingredients and say, create your own menu. And so the employer is sitting there saying, well, what do I want? Do I want protein, vegetable, you know? And so they're confused. So the data allows us to really pinpoint those myriad of programs that the carriers and the point solutions in the marketplace can bring to the table and say, aha, we have a problem with diabetes or we have a problem with muscular skeletal. And that's where our investment and our, and our dollars should go. That's where we should focus communication, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really using the data to get, to get well-focused on the, on the conditions that are driving your costs. Mike, tell me something here. You know, the the programs I've seen some carriers run where they'll offer an Apple Watch to be able to improve some of their outcomes. It comes as, you know, we talked about before the double-edged sword of of HIPAA, where I know that they're using the data anonymously, of course, but the the participant really needs to believe that they're getting something of value, not just the Apple Watch itself. But they're getting something of value for giving up all that data because there is an absolute crap ton of data that they're giving up to, you know, when they when they give the permissions for that carrier to receive all of that insight about who they are, what they do, when they work out, when they don't work out, and how they live their lives. What's been the thought process of building that into program design? So there's been a lot of thought to that because there is an overabundance of that data that's sitting in the universe, right? But it's all sure. in disparate places. So an Apple Watch is probably kicking back data to Apple, but it's not necessarily, you know, tying into Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> or uh, Well, not unless the person says that Blue Cross Blue Shield can have that data, right? Right. And right now those bridges don't necessarily exist. But they're but they're being built and they will happen. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
you know, healthcare is 20% of the U.S. economy and big tech is turning its eye towards, towards healthcare in a big, big way. You know, I think the example I'd like to use to kind of, to kind of, I think, answer your question is Amazon. So Amazon, whether you love them or hate them, probably a little bit of both. Um, a little bit of both, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't get that big with, 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 without, uh, without that. Sure public opinion. But, you know, sure. they, they entered the healthcare space a few years ago by buying a company called PillPack, mm. which um, provides uh, prescription drugs directly to, to people and they package it up. So, you know, think about the, the container of pills, you know, Saturday through Sunday. Sure. What they do is they, PillPack, in essence, provides all those medications. So a person has to open them just once a day or multiple times right. a day that they're divided up. I don't want to get into their business model. <laughs> but they also, <laughs> but they also bought Whole Foods, sure, so that they could build pharmacies and healthcare centers inside of Whole Foods, and obviously they can promote better eating, diet, and exercise through Whole Foods. So, just, sure, so Amazon's moving largely into into healthcare, and the reason why I bring them up is Amazon has done two things that were just incredible around their business. Just before I took the job with Lockton, I met with a senior executive at EMC who's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Full disclosure, we were playing golf. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and I asked him, I said, Darren, you know, who's your biggest competitor? Thinking that EMC would say IBM or Oracle or right. he said, without hesitation, Amazon. And wow. I was like, what? Because I hadn't really thought about Amazon web services. Yeah. And you know, if you're at EMC where you're you're selling data storage, you know, a cloud-based system that kind of encapsulates all that stuff is really a big threat. Sure. What Amazon did, at least in my opinion, is they took something that was a cost or something with little value to the overall business. It was a have to to have business, right? You have to have technology infrastructure. You have to have hosting. You have to have security, compliance. And they said, hey, wait a minute. Why don't we go and sell this to other people? Mm -hmm. And, it you know, Amazon Web Services today is probably the most valuable part of Amazon, at least from a... It certainly is. And, and even if you're a small business, you use AWS because yeah. there is, I mean, I, I, I hate to say it this way, but there's literally almost no competitor to them because it's just so reliable and it's just so damn cheap. Yeah. You know, Shopify and others, I think, are, are similar if you're in a retail environment. But if sure. your business is not, you know, retail, if it's a small consulting firm, say. Exactly. Like, you know, like Tourette's <laughs> Consulting. Exactly. Know, AWS is a good, it is a good example. So it, it is. You know, they created and they unleashed that value by demonetizing it, democratizing it. You know, uh, yep. it, it really did a, a good job. The, the second part of Amazon that I'd like to talk to about data or a corollary there is Amazon Prime. So, you know, fulfillment was always seen as, you know, a cost of business, right? And with Prime and now Amazon Delivery Services, they've created another hook of value into mm -hmm. their customers. So they've taken something that was a cost center or, you know, marginal value and made tremendous value about it. Sure. You know, in it. Why am I going down this path? Every employer has healthcare data. Uh, when you get large enough, you get some of it. If you're fully insured due to HIPAA and other re restrictions, you get less of it. If you're mm -hmm. self-funded, you get more of it. You don't, you right. don't get all of it because of HIPAA. Right. But you do get a lot of it. And as we talked about before, it allows you to 
put programs together for cost management, you know, stratifying risks and, and creating, you know, well-being programs and things that, that are pertinent to your population. But it doesn't go to the next level. But what we're doing is is taking to that to the next level. So to a large degree, that data just sits there. Yep. Right. What we're seeing are organizations through the phone, through your mobile phone, or through your Apple Watch, or or whatever, you download an app onto your phone, and you know we have we have this uh, data warehouse at Lockton called InfoLock, and then we integrate, let's say, my data um, through InfoLock with with an app on my phone. So yeah. I was recently diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. And I will be able to get specific content about because I've opted in, right? I've downloaded yep, the sure. app, yep. And the database knows to to send this information to me. Then I can self-select. I'm interested in these topics, sure, sure. And so that's really how employers are going to keep their people healthy going forward. So it's not only providing the cost management programs from a macro perspective at the employer level, but it's truly unleashing data into the hands of the employees to the people that, that need it. Absolutely. And that's going to create tremendous ability for people to better navigate the healthcare system to truly become healthier. Talked about earlier that employers are really concerned about well-being. Yep. So whether it's mindfulness practices or meditation or financial well-being, or community, or work life, all of that now can be really unleashed through, you know, letting that data flow to that next level into the employee's hands. Mike, I think you used the term democratizing data before. Mm -hmm. That's what this does. It provides them with facts about where they are, that person is, it personalizes not only the insight about who they are and what they're doing, but also how to improve their outcomes, how to improve it, not just from their health perspective, like I feel better because I ran two miles today, but also what does that mean in terms of your healthcare costs or your healthcare treatment plans or other things? So you can bring that holistic approach so the person can really feel like not only do they own their the costs or, or how much they have to spend, but they own their outcomes. They own their yep. life. And now yep. we're actually giving them the tools to make better decisions. Do you want to have that hamburger or do you want to eat a salad that may have crumbles of a little bit of a hamburger on it? Or if, if you don't use the meat, the real meat, do you use the vegetable substitute, which actually tastes almost exactly like hamburger? Well, and I think, you know, one of the one of the benefits to the extent that there are any of the pandemic is it did accelerate a lot of change into our society. So people's acceptance of telemedicine, telehealth, sure. I think people are taking a step back and and have over the past year, I know I have, and, and reevaluate, you know, choices and decisions that they're making. Um, certainly I've started, but six months ago, I started daily meditation and I I That's think it's awesome. You know, it's, it's yeah. definitely helped, helped me. And, uh, I think those around me even more so. Sure. So I think, you know, the pandemic, uh, has broken through a lot of those barriers that were with us for, for a lot of years. So Mike, we talked a lot about using data as the basis for good employee benefits programs. We talked about how you, you have utilized throughout history 
in the in the world of benefits how data has actually gone to on the cost side we've transitioned to how we're actually using it every day in our health management our people's health management we've also talked about using data as a cost management tool in organizations and we've also talked about how we can democratize data and give that data out to people so they can really make decisions for themselves about managing their own health care costs as well as benefits what else did you want to cover or what else did you want to impart before we close up? I think there's been a movement, you know, you, you can't fight the facts, right? And data sure. is are the facts or is the facts. And so, you know, that that's really where where we're placing a lot of our bets going forward is to say taking art and science and blending them together is a great way to make decisions. To take them solely in their own silos to just think about art or science or data or gut feeling really doesn't make sense anymore. Sure. And so in the world is is continuing to speed up <laughs> and get faster. Yeah. And so data data is going to help us, you know, bridge what the what the next future is uh and it's sure. going to become continuing to come faster and faster. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, but I am in sales so uh you know <laughs> <laughs> have to have to have to check everything, right? <laughs> no, no, that was good. And and I think what we're going to do is we may actually have to have more conversations around this topic because you just can't fit into one episode all there is to know about the world of HR analytics in and benefits because there's so much more to talk about. And uh so I'm going to probably ask you to come back and we'll have another topic for another day. How about that? That sounds great. I'm working from home these days, David, so you know where to find <laughs> All right, great. Well, Mike, thank you very much. And as I said, we're going to invite you back soon. Thanks, David. My pleasure. And thank you for listening. And hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please hit subscribe. And if you know somebody who might enjoy the episode, please forward it to them. Please take care and stay safe. And thank you very much for listening to the HR Data Labs podcast. Bye-bye. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TeretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show, add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.